In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On the associated Anglican calendar of the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, 30 November is the red letter day of St Andrew's Day. The communion or anti-communion epistle reading of Romans 10, 9-21 includes the words of verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And the second lesson for morning prayer or matins in St John 1.35-42 includes reference to the fact that Andrew and another disciple of St John the Baptist heard John Baptist say of Jesus as he walked by, Behold the Lamb of God. And the true disciples followed Jesus. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him, Andrew, first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And St Andrew uh, brought St Peter to Christ. Uh, as we can, and he did, yes. Uh, but they both, as Christ's disciples, uh, entered a fuller ministry later, as recorded in the communion or ante communion uh, gospel reading of St. Matthew 4 18 to 20, <clears throat> which includes the words of verses 19 and 20 that when Jesus saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, they straightway left their nets and followed him. And so, with his brother, Simon called Peter, Andrew was called to evangelism in Christ's words, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we see this in the Gospel, as found in the second lesson for evening prayer, or evensong in St John 12, 20-41, where in conjunction with Philip, Andrew introduced certain God-fearer Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So that Andrew introduced a Jew in the form of his brother Simon Peter, and Gentiles in the form of these Greeks to Christ. And so we see his evangelistic spirit to all men, both Jews and Gentiles. Hence the propriety of the first lesson for morning prayer of Isaiah 54, and the first lesson for evening prayer of Isaiah 65, 1-16. For example, Isaiah 54, 3 says, Thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, verse 5b. Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall be called, shall he be called, <coughs> verse 8b. With everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Verse 17b. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Isaiah 65.1 I am sought of them that ask not of me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. Applied in Romans 10.20 to Gentile Christians. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. So the story of St Andrew shows an evangelistic spirit from the very outset in the Gospels to both Jews and Gentiles in bringing both to Christ. And so the eve of St Andrew's Day is a most appropriate time to pray for Gospel missionary work. And today, the 29th of November 2022, is St Andrew's Eve, and in Anglican tradition dating from the late 19th century, this day may be observed as a day of prayer for missions. A day of prayer for missionary work was first appointed in the Church of England in 1872, and this was fixed at St Andrew's Eve by the Church of England Convocations of 1884, and so in 1980 the Church of England said, quote, the eve of St Andrew's Day, 29 November, may be observed as a day of intercession and thanksgiving for the missionary work of the Church, unquote. And the usage of St Andrew's Eve was again stated in 2000. And here in Australia in 1978, the Anglican Church of Australia said, quote, St Andrew's Eve may be observed as a day of prayer for missions, unquote. On the one hand, in this uh, Laodicean Church age, both the Church of England and the 
Anglican Church of Australia have sections of great spiritual and moral apostasy in them. But on the other hand, a low church evangelical Anglicans who uphold the 1662 Book of Common Prayer and 39 Articles and who repudiate this wider Anglican apostasy may still find some things of value in such traditions as this one. And indeed, this uh, late 19th century Anglican tradition of uh, using St Andrew's Eve as a day of prayer for missionary work shows some elements of the outworking effect of the great Protestant missionary movement. And from last Sunday, the 27th of November 2022, it's also the season of Advent. which remembers both the first and second advents of Christ. And concerning the uh, second advent, the teaching of Articles 1a, 2a and 8 of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God and in Jesus Christ our Lord, who shall come to judge the quick and the dead, is relevant in connection with the teaching of Acts 20.21 of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. As found in the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts 17:30 and 31, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And so of relevance to these six sermons on big beat music, We need good, religiously conservative, Protestant, Christian missionary work to include reference in it to the great dangers of ungodly, big-beat music and the need to repent of it in connection with Godward repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who saith in St Mark 1.15, Repent ye and believe the Gospel. And so, on this eve of St Andrew's Day, let us Almighty God, our Father, Thou hast shown us in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who didst call Andrew to preach the Gospel, Thy will for the evangelistic proclamation of the Gospel of salvation through justification by faith alone in the atoning merits of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, who declared unto us, that the harvest truly is plentiful, plenteous, but the labourers are few. Wherefore, O Lord, though we thank Thee for the many labourers <clears throat> Thou hast already sent out, such as those in apostolic times, such as St Andrew, and those in later times, including those in connection with the great Protestant missionary movement that commenced in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, we also pray Thee, as the Lord of the harvest, that Thou shalt send forth labourers into thy harvest of souls, that going into all the world they may preach the gospel to every kind of creature, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Welcome to all listening to this address. This is the sixth in a series of six sermons the first three last week on St. Cecilia's Day, and the last three today on the eve of St. Andrew's Day, entitled The Big Beat Music Nightmare. (sighs) Being preached on the 22nd and 29th of November, 2022. The trilogy last week on St Cecilia's Day dealt in the first sermon with the 1950s and 1960s bass to the big beat music as seen uh, largely, though not exclusively, with reference to Elvis Presley and the Beatles. And in the uh, second sermon with the fact that big beat music is intrinsically a more uh, dangerous a music genre in its innate potential for evil. And in this context considered the issue of what's sometimes called CCM or contemporary Christian music and included a short case study of a one-time friend of mine who was a member of the band ACDC. 
And while the multiplicity of issues are discussed in each of the following four sermons, including racial babelism and anti-patriarchal sex role perversion, in terms of a special focus in the third to sixth sermons, in the third sermon, the immoral nature of big beat music was considered with special, though not exclusive, reference to fornication. And now, in the trilogy of today on St Andrew's Eve, uh, firstly in the uh, previous fourth sermon, the fourth sermon, consideration was given to the immoral nature of big beat music with special though not exclusive reference to sodomy and violence, including sadomasochism. Secondly, in the previous fifth sermon's two parts, consideration was given to the immoral nature of big beat music with special though not exclusive reference to false religious beliefs and false religions. And now, thirdly, in the sixth sermon, which shall be, shall be divided into part A and part B, with a break between them, shall be considered the immoral nature of big beat music, with special though not exclusive reference in part 6A to profane language, which includes a lesser reference to making gambling a lust idol, and in part 6B to drugs with some lesser reference to drunkenness as well as the important issue of the need for evangelistic missionary work with reference to the great Protestant missionary movement commenced in the late 18th and early 19th centuries and continuing till the Second Advent, at which time Jesus Christ shall come to judge the quick and the dead, with some special, although not exclusive, reference to the need for the gospel proclamation to deal with this issue of ungodly big beat music. And so of relevance to these sermons, there's an important biblical message to Christians in the eve of St Andrew's Day and season of Advent with respect to the second Advent and Day of Final Judgment to make the right musical choices in what they listen to and for musicians to use their musical skills and talents for good and not for bad. For as taught in 1 Samuel 16, both the Spirit of God may work through good music and the devil and his devilish spirits may work through bad music. And so this means that there's a spiritual warfare connected with the music one chooses to listen to. For the teaching of Ephesians 5, 19 and 20, that we should be speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, is one element of the wider teaching in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so, in this spiritual battle, we must fight the good fight. And that does not simply mean, in a negative sense, shunning the evil, such as ungodly big beat music, but also in a positive way, having in its place something good, Christian and decent. And in this context we find, in the example of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, that as recorded in Mark 14.26, he sung a hymn. Now I'm presently using the, as I should say now I'm generally using the generic of big beat music or rock and roll music in these six sermons. In doing this, I recognise that there are some finer divisions in big beat music, such as rock and roll, metal or heavy metal, rhythm and blues, rap or hip-hop and punk. Although even these are questionable, as a number of big beat musicians mix these different types together. And I recognise that these finer divisions are more important for some than others. But at least in general, in these six sermons, I've used the generic term big beat music, as well as rock or rock and roll, in a generic way, only occasionally referring to one of these finer subdivisions. And in these six sermons, I'm walking the Ephesians 5, 12 and 13 tightrope, which on the one side requires that enough information be given to reprove a matter, but on the other side recognises that it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And keeping one's balance stable as one walks that tightrope is no easy matter. For while heavy metal rock intrinsically beats up fleshly lusts, <clears throat> other big beat music intrinsically can quite easily be used to beat up fleshly lusts. And so it's intrinsically a more 
dangerous music genre in, it, in its innate potential for evil. And it has uh, undoubtedly been a vehicle for the beating up of fleshly lusts, such uh, as, for example, profane language, drugs and drunkenness. They seek to get their listeners to jump and gyrate and prance and shake and rattle and roll, beating up fleshly lusts that could easily spill over into all kinds of ungodliness. <clears throat> For this is the big, big music nightmare! In its abbreviated form, the Exodus 23rd precept is Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. This precept, combined with the ninth, Thou shalt not bear false witness, safeguards the usage of the oath. The propriety of the oath is seen in the fact that God himself has used it. For in the Gospels, Luke 1, 68 and 73 refers to the oath which the Lord God swore to Abraham. And in the epistles we read in Hebrews 6.13, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And indeed, on this uh, eve of St Andrew's Day, we have already noted that in the Anglican 1662 Book of Common Prayer, the first lesson for evening prayer or evensong is Isaiah 65.1-16, which includes in it reference to the Gospel going to the Gentiles as applied in Romans 10.20. And notably then, Isaiah 65.16 <coughs> saith, <coughs> And <coughs> he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. And so this prophecy looks forward to a time when in harmony with the third and ninth commandments of the moral law, Gentile Christians shall swear oaths in God's name. But some blasphemous men took what Article 29 of the Anglican 39 Articles calls vain and rash swearing, actually I should say Article 39 of the Anglican 39 Articles calls a vain and rash swearing, frivolously and unnecessarily saying, <clears throat> I swear to do this or that. And so in the Gospels, our Lord forbids such vain and rash swearing, saying in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.34, Swear not at all. Verse 37, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. And so too in the Epistles, James the Apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ saith in James 5.12, Swear not by any oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay. For example, rather than simply saying yea or yes, some people engage in vain and rash swearing by saying, quote, my oath, unquote. Or even worse, quote, B-L-O-O-D-Y, oath, unquote. In which the etymological origins of, quote, B-L-O-O-D-Y, unquote, is disputed. But I would agree with those who consider it looks like an abbreviation for, quote, by our lady, unquote. With reference to Mary, the mother of Jesus, being set against the backdrop of some Anglicans in the 16th and 17th centuries, sometimes referring to St Mary, the mother of Jesus, as our example of a lady. For example, with reference to Annunciation Day, also sometimes called Lady Day. And in Shakespeare, for example, in Much Ado About Nothing, Act 3, Scene 4, the phrase, quote, by our lady, is abbreviated to, quote, by a lady, unquote, which seems to have been further abbreviated to, quote, belady, unquote, and from thence to, quote, B-L-O-O-D-Y, unquote. And so this type of thing is vain and rash swearing. <clears throat> now, the fact that the third commandment prohibits vain and rash swearing 
thus uh, also points to the wider use of language. And in Matthew 12.36, Christ saith that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And in expanding on the moral law in Matthew 15.18-20, remembering that in Jewish tradition the Decalogue is artistically summarised by placing the numbers 1-5 to on the first tablet, and the numbers 6 to 10 on the second tablet, Jesus Christ isolates sin through reference to the moral law, saying, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, that is, the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Then he refers to adulteries, that is, the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery, in its narrower sense. Then he refers to fornications, that is, the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery, in its wider sense of any interpersonal sexual relations outside of God-ordained heterosexual marriage. Then he refers to thefts, that is, the Eighth Commandment, thou shalt not steal. Then he refers to false witness, that is, the Ninth Commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. And having thus first upheld the second tablet of the Decalogue with the Sixth to Tenth Commandments, he then refers to blasphemies, that is, the Third Commandment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. So he here upholds the first tablet of the Decalogue containing the first to fifth commandments. And so in contextually upholding the two tablets of the Exodus 20 Decalogue, Christ uses blasphemies as a violation of the third commandment to represent the first tablet of the law. He does a similar thing in Matthew 19, 18 and 19, although on that occasion he uses the fifth commandment to represent the first tablet of the law. And likewise in the epistles we find the moral law used in, for example, 1 Timothy 1, 8 to 10 or James 2, 11, and in James 1, 25 and 2, 12, St. James calls the Decalogue the law of liberty. <clears throat> but... The fact that in the Gospels, at Matthew 15, 18 to 20, Christ uses the third commandment to represent the first tablet of the law in the form of blasphemies is clearly inclusive of the issue of language. And likewise in the epistles, Colossians 3, 8 saith, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And Ephesians 4.29 saith, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And so in its wider orbit, the principle of clean speech in the third commandment also covers other profanities in the form of language, uh, subverting the moral law such as crude sex words, contrary to the seventh commandment. Or the third and fourth commandments, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Both teach us to distinguish between the holy and the profane. So that in egregious violations of these precepts, 1 Timothy 1.9 refers to the unholy and profane. And one example of this is separation from a base focus on human feces. So that Deuteronomy 23, 13 and 14 saith, And thou, cover that which cometh from thee, therefore be holy, no unclean thing in thee. And hence crude words for bodily excretion, such as human feces, are contrary to the moral principles evident in the third and fourth commandments. By contrast, a word like dog though strong language, is permissible where appropriate. Deuteronomy 23.18, Matthew 15.26 and 27, and Revelation 21.15. And so the first of two primary issues we are looking at in the sixth sermon, in part 6a, of profane language, is an egregious violation of the third, fourth and seventh precepts of the moral law. Furthermore, in the Holy Gospels, in his Sermon on the Mount, Christ upholds the first, second and tenth commandments of the moral laws against lust idols. When he saith in Matthew 6.24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. 
And likewise in the epistles, the Apostle Paul refers to such lust idols in Colossians 3.5 as covetousness, which is idolatry. For example, in Matthew 24.37 and 38, Christ forewarns that as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, with respect to eating. And in regard to this lust idol of gluttony, the Apostle Paul refers in Philippians 3.19 to those whose God is their belly. And so gluttony is a false god or lust idol. Now, in looking at big beat music and lust idols, these include the false gods and idolatry evident in the general terminology of rock idols or big beat idols. Fornication, evident in the very name, rock and roll, and other forbidden lusts, evident though not exhausted by the phrase, sex, drugs and rock and roll. But while the moral law of God prohibits all lust idols, in part two of this sixth sermon and final sermon, a, a, uh, a, a, a final, which is the final sixth, final, which is the final sixth sermon. Uh, a special uh, focus shall be made on the lust idol of drugs with some lesser reference to drunkenness. And I also note that another false god is found in the lust idol of gambling. Now, the Protestant Christian state of England, which existed into the 19th century, was not perfect. For example, it failed to properly recognise that the words of the fourth commandment at Exodus 20 verse 9, six days shalt thou labour and do all thy work, was inclusive of of a preparation day. And so preferably Saturday or at the very least half of Saturday from 12 noon should have been generally given off as part of Sunday Sabbatarianism. The failure to do so resulting in a certain amount of things being done on Sundays as a necessity that would have been better done on Saturday afternoon. Or Saturday. Moreover, under the uh, Protestant Christian state of England, which existed into the 19th century, uh, excessive gambling rather than gambling per se was prohibited. Thus, because of the tendency for games or sports to be corrupted through gambling, by statute under Henry VIII, other than at Christmas time, all the gentlemen were prohibited to, for example, play cards and dice or tennis and bowls. Limited gambling in state lotteries was sometimes prohibited and sometimes allowed, and gambling in a limited number of horse races was permitted and regulated. However, most forms of gambling were prohibited, such as gaming or gambling houses. There was thus a difference of perception permitted among diverse persons on the question at what point does gambling in, for instance, a state lottery or horse race, become the lust idol of gambling. But there was a general agreement that most forms of gambling and certainly something like a gambling or gaming house definitely was an example of the lust idol of gambling. On the one hand, The law thus prohibited what was regarded as excessive gambling rather than gambling per se. But on the other hand, there were some tragic stories of how gambling had been attended with a sudden ruin and desolation of families and ended in self-murder. So that within these limited permissible guidelines, one was free to take a stronger view against gambling than the limited amount allowed at law. And if one so wished, one could steer clear of the gambling Uh, the gambling in such things as the limited state lotteries and limited number of horse races. However, to the extent that it was known that under the laws of England some men were violating the first, second and tenth commandments of the moral law with the lust idol of gambling and that some of them were further violating the sixth commandment thou shalt not kill by self-murder, in my opinion the restrictive laws on gambling were not sufficiently restrictive and the gaming or gambling laws should have been made more restrictive than what they were. Now, we have already touched upon in some previous sermons in this series on the issue of the false god found in making gambling a lust idol. 
Thus, reference was made to Bob Dylan's 1992 song Blackjack Davy, in which Blackjack may refer to someone in The Last Idol of Card gambling in a gambling house, and in 1988 Dylan was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Or in 2008, Abba's The Winner Takes It All, the lyrics say that heathen, quote, gods may throw a dice, the winner takes it all, unquote, which clearly have gambling overtones of a gambling house of a pagan pantheon of gods. And in 2009, the group Abba were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Or the Negro singer The Weeknd in his 2020 album After Hours promotes the lust idols of drugs and gambling in the context of gaming houses in Las Vegas, USA. And other songs making gambling a lust idol that have not been previously mentioned include Kenny Rogers' 1978 album The Gambler, which refers to a gambling house imagery of card, quote, dealing at the table, unquote, and which, when released in 2007, reached number 22 on the Big Beat charts. And in the context of language, the phrase, quote, I bet, unquote, or, quote, you bet, unquote, is a gratuitous reference to gambling. And some also use, quote, I betcha, unquote, in which betcha, or B-E-T-Y-A, for bet you, is by a colloquialism changed to betcha, or B-E-T-C-H-A. For this type of free and unqualified usage of bet certainly allows an application of it to making gambling a lust idol, and in this context of such a vain and rash usage of this terminology, such a meaning cannot be seriously excluded or inhibited. And so it is profane language that's contrary to both the principles of language in the third commandment of the moral law of Exodus 20 and also violates the moral law's prohibition of lust idols in the first, second and tenth commandments. That's four precepts of the Holy Decalogue which may be violated by the gambling phrase quote, I bet, unquote, or quote, you bet, uh, 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 unquote, uh, or uh, I betcha, unquote. Uh, to, to the objection that some people say uh, the uh, uh, phrase, quote, I bet, unquote, or quote, I betcha, unquote, or quote, you bet, unquote, without actually meaning what they say, My response is that this is the same type of issue as vain and rash swearing with respect to oaths. So that, for example, when instead of simply saying yay or yes, someone says, quote, my oath, unquote, even though he doesn't mean to say that in the sense of actually swearing an oath to God, nevertheless he is guilty of vain and rash swearing, contrary to the teaching of Christ, who in upholding the third and ninth commandments, saith in Matthew 5, 34 and 37, swear not at all, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. And so too, if someone says the phrase, quote, I bet, unquote, or quote, I betcha, unquote, or quote, you bet, unquote, even if he does not seriously mean to place any kind of bet or wager, he is guilty of a gratuitous reference to gambling which allows an application of it to making gambling a lust idol. And in this context of such a vain and rash usage of this terminology, such a meaning cannot be seriously excluded or inhibited. And so in application of the principles of the uh, moral law of God with reference, uh, with reference to vain and uh, rash swearing where instead of simply saying yes or yea, someone says, quote, my oath, unquote. James 5.12 saith, swear not by any oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay. It follows that on analogous moral principles, the teaching of scripture on a man's vain and rash usage of the phrases, quote, I bet, unquote, or quote, I betcha, unquote, or quote, you bet, unquote, is an example of immoral and profane language. And to those who use these phrase, phrases, and so I should say, and so those who use these phrases would do well to ponder the words of the living Lord Jesus Christ, who saith in Matthew twelve thirty six that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment.
<clears throat> now, I previously mentioned in the second sermon the need to avoid certain songs of one of the better contemporary Christian musicians, Keith Green, so that one must be wary of his errors while benefiting from his good. And in this context, I now note that in his song, Grace by Which I Stand, his lyrics addressed to Christ, quote, I bet I could deny you, unquote, uh, profanely seek to make a betting wager with God himself and thus shows added blasphemy contrary to the third commandment and exhibits a spirit of reckless worldliness of language. And so as discussed in the second sermon, while I would say the problems in Keith Green's songs are in less than 10% of them, one still needs to exercise care and caution with him. Or returning to secular big beat music, The Who's 1981 song, quote, You better, you bet, unquote, repeatedly uses the gambling phrase, quote, you bet, unquote. And the the context is clearly one of a lust idol. In the wider context of the lust idol lyrics, quote, I drank myself blind, unquote, together with fornication lyrics. And so the gambling terminology of this song most naturally lends itself to a sentiment of making gambling a lust idol. And this went to number 18 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 9 on the top 10 in the UK, and the track reached number 1 on Billboard Top Tracks for five weeks, and then it was re-released in 2015 by The Who in their album called The Who Live in Hyde Park. And in 1990, The Who were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is better called the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. You see, this type of music can so easily be used to beat up fleshly lusts, such as making gambling a lust idol, and the profane language of vain and rash terminology such as, quote, you bet, unquote, and other things. It's the Big Beat Music Nightmare! Beyond the issue of making gambling a lust idol and the phrase, phrases, quote, I bet, unquote, or, quote, you bet, unquote, Coming now to the wider issue of profanity or profane language, in earlier discussing, in earlier discussion, uh, uh, in these uh, sermons, the American uh, Negro Bo Diddley uh, was uh, uh, referred to, and. Uh, reference was made to his 1962 album Bo Diddley and the song Who May Your Lover Be which is contrary to the third precept of the moral which contrary to the third precept of the moral law includes a blasphemous exclamation of the name of the Lord and as earlier and in earlier discussing John Lennon Vanilla Ice and Hall and uh, oats. Uh, the the issue of profane language was also raised. Uh, for example, John Lennon of the Beatles, in his vicious and blasphemous attack on the Lord Jesus Christ, in his 1965 book *A Spaniard in the Works*, wickedly portrays Jesus Christ in the guise of a character, whom, among other things, he calls a quote b a s t a r d unquote, in which I spell that last word as while I use it in its correct sense for one who is either morally, spiritually or legally illegitimate, it can also be misused in a profane way, as it here is by the morally ugly John Lennon, who now justly burns in hell. A further very incomplete selection of profane language in big beat music shall also be now considered. Uh, For example, the group called the Beastie Boys, their first release was a 1983 song whose second word is one that the Urban Dictionary says is a name referring to a certain type of filthy, 
un and unnatural act between a whoremonger and his whore that I shall not itemise. <clears throat> and shall censor to the words filthy and unnatural act in the song Cookie, Filthy and Unnatural Act, in which for our immediate purposes it shows profanity in the very name of the song. Indeed, Larson's Book of Rock records that Rolling Stone magazine of February 1987 describes them as, quote, a nightmare of profanity, sex and violence, unquote, but then sickly adds that to listen to them is, quote, fun, unquote. Surely this is an example of the words of Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, because for the godly and righteous Christian man there is most assuredly no, quote, fun, unquote, in Beastie Boys, quote, nightmare of profanity, sex and violence, unquote. The Beastie Boys 1986 song, Ryman and Steelen, glorifies piracy on the high seas with theft and murder. Contrary to the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, the eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal, and the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, and the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery in promoting fornication, and the first, second and tenth commandments, I am the Lord thy God, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make, bow down to, nor serve any graven image. And thou shalt not covet. With the last idol of drunkenness. That's a, that's a clear violation of seven of the ten commandments. The first, second, sixth, seventh, eighth, and tenth uh, precepts. Uh, uh, with those, um, what is it? About half—I should say about half a dozen, uh, about half a dozen uh, uh, violations. Uh, in the filthy lyrics of this song, which include such lines as, "Quote, I'm going to board your ship and turn it out, because I'm bad, getting badder, terrorising suckers on the seven seas." We got 16 men on a dead man's chest and I shot those suckers and I'll shoot the rest because I am most ill and I'm rhyming and stealing because the beastie boys have gone cutting your throat and when my girlie shakes her hips skirt chasing, free basing, killing every village we drink and rob and rhyme and pillage, unquote. Contrary to the biblical teaching of Leviticus 18.7 and 1 Corinthians 5.1 against a most shocking form of incest consisting of fornication that one should have his father's wife. The evil Beastie Boys 1994 song Beastie Boys Making with Freak Freak uses profane language of a sex verb I shall censor to fornication referring to incest fornication with a mother as well as other profane language referring to faeces as well as containing a wicked call to legalise the drug marijuana, also known as weed, in the lyrics, quote, legalise the weed, unquote. Their 1995 album was entitled, quote, Hello Nasty, unquote. I'll say no more on it. And while I leave a lot of the further detail of these evildoers out, I note, for example, that in their 2011 song, don't play no game that I can't win. They, for example, without hesitation, use the profanity of filthy language referring to feces. And in 2012, Beastie Boys were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is better called the Rock and Roll Hall of Shame. And in the same year, this vile group disbanded following the death of one of its members, Adam MCA York, who died of a cancer in 2012, age 47. Then four years later, the founding guitarist, John Berry, who created the name Beastie Boys, died in 2016, age 52, from a dementia of the brain that involves the progressive degeneration of frontal and temporal lobes. Long may he 
burn in hell. The group Motley Crew was founded by bass guitarist Nicky Six, spelt with a double X, who bragged to Hit Parader of December 1983, uh, profanely violating the Third Commandment, and said, We're the loudest, grossest band in the history of rock and roll. Unquote. Their song, B A S T A R D, contains such immorality and foul language including a crude fornication sex verb used in connection with fornication uh, that I uh, won't uh, uh, repeat uh, much in it. And uh, in Hit Parader of May uh, 1987... Nikki Six said, quote, our attitude is just pull your pants down and party, unquote. For example, their 1992 song Hooligan's Holiday looks with favour on being hellbound in the words, quote, lines of hell on our face, unquote. It promotes forbidden worldly lusts in the words, quote, tattoos flowing, unquote, and rebellion in the words, quote, Hooligan's Holiday, unquote. Their 2010 so song, Sex, profanely and fr frivolously uses the word hell and includes the heathen and fornicating promotion lyrics, quote, where the dogs and the heathens don't need no lovin', no respect, because it's all about sex, unquote. And Motley Crue's 2020 song, The Retaliators, 21 Bullets, Contrary to the Sixth Commandment and the words of Romans 12, 19 and 13, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord, thou shalt not kill, includes the lyrics, quote, Retaliators, retaliators, there's blood on my hands, tasted revenge, and it's sweet, unquote. And in 1991, Motley Crue received the Dr. Feel Good Award for the favourite heavy metal or hard rock album. And in 2006, they were placed on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which also reminds us of the wider dangers to public morals and decency uh, posed by Hollywood. And uh, perhaps I should also mention that the, that name, uh, Dr. Feelgood, is a lot of rubbish. If you feel good when you listen to this vileness and rottenness and evil, there's something wrong with you. And that's a spiritual problem that you need to address in prayer to God in conjunction with repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ as man's only saviour from sin. <clears throat> uh, more generally, we uh, find profanities or foul language uh, in, for example, the band Outcast, spelt with a K rather than a C, in their 2003 song Reset, which uses filthy language for faeces, refers to, quote, old, dirty, B-A-S-T-A-R-D, unquote, and, for example, blasphemously says, quote, I'll be bringing God to the gunfight, unquote. Or the band All-American Rejects, uh, uh, and as a uh, reasonable man, I would uh, accept that these people are rejects. Uh, in their 28 song, uh, D-A-M-N, a girl, which includes the fornication lyrics of a whoremonger in a line of whoremongers going to the same whore, in the words, quote, I press your lips and I taste everyone that you've had tonight, unquote. A foul language, for instance, referring to faeces and a crude fornication sex verb, are found in Crosby, Still, Nash and Young's 1999 Looking Forward. And in 1999, Crosby, Still, Nash were inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
More profane language is found in the Goo Goo Dolls 2002 album Gutterflower, as it is in the 2004 and 2017 albums of the group Incubus. Now, Incubus generally refers to a devil taking a male form to engage in sexual acts with a woman, although it can also be used with reference to what is known as succubus, which is a devil using a female form to engage in sexual acts with, with a man. Uh, this uh, fornication with devils promoting group called Incubus is known for their profanity in multiple albums. Filthy language also comes from the lips of the group U2 in their 2009 album No Line on the Horizon, which repeatedly uses crude foul language focusing on faeces. And in 2005, the foul-mouthed group U2 were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Filthy language comes from the lips of Madonna, as in her 2005 song, I Love New York. She uses a crude and filthy fornication sex verb abbreviated by a letter of the alphabet that I shall censor to the word rack in the lyrics, quote, if you don't like my attitude, then you can rack off, unquote. And in 2008, the foul-mouthed Madonna was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame which is better called a hall of shame. <clears throat> There's so many profanities in, in so many uh, of these rock idol songs. We can only look today at a very limited selection. But in Hayley Williams' 2020 album, uh, Petals for Armour, which has a cover jacket depicting her in sickly and repulsive terms with dishevelled hair and stupid black square marks over her face and le left, left hand in a question mark shape. In her song, Simmer, uses a sex verb used for fornication that I shall censor to fricking sucker. In the words, from a fricking sucker like that man. And amidst other bad things, various profanities also appear in Olivia Rodrigo's 2021 album, Sour. The Negro Lecrae is pictured on his 2020 album, Restoration, Unshaven. As with the principles of nature teaching that men should have shorter hair than women, and this is, a rel this is relative to the military of the day, 1 Corinthians 11, 14 and 15, it follows that men's facial hair should likewise conform to these military standards. And so Lecrae's unshaven face is unmanly. In his song Deep End, he also uses the profanity uh, of a crude uh, fornication sex verb. And this filthy album reached number four on the Big Beat iTunes chart. The Barbados Negros, the, the Barbados Negress rock idol Rihanna in the second best ever selling female rock is the best ever this is the second best ever selling female rock idol and in her 2009 album quote rated r unquote she uses many profanities including the song wait your turn which included a crude fornication sex verb that i shall censor to fornication and rockstar 101 which refers to a crude gesture made with the finger, to which is added some, the, the same filthy fornication sex verb. The blatant violation of God's name is found in the very name, as well as the lyrics of the evil song, quote, Oh my God, or, unquote, or, quote, OMG, unquote, by the Negro Usher in 2010, which topped the big beat music charts in Australia, New Zealand, Southern Ireland, the UK and USA. That blasphemous song caused me a lot of grief as a school teacher, as I found it helped to greatly promote the usage of such blasphemy among students, even though by the grace of God I sought to restrain such wickedness and vice. You see, this type of music can so easily be used to beat up fleshly lusts such as profane language and other things. It's the Big Beat Music Nightmare!
In this sermon 6, part A, we have primarily considered violations of the 3rd, 4th and 7th precepts of the Holy Decalogue with respect to profane language or profanity and to a lesser extent considered violations of the 1st, 2nd and 10th precepts with regard to making gambling a lust idol. And in this we should remember that the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet, proceeds and is part of the violation of all and any of the Ten Commandments. And so St James saith in James 2, 10-12, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit adultery, yet, sorry, sorry, now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. St. James thus calls the Decalogue the law of liberty, and bearing in mind that violation of the tenth precept precedes and is part of the violation of any of the ten precepts, it's notable that in isolating this area of the moral law, he further says in James 1, 14 and 15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And an example of this is found in his isolation of the teaching of the moral law with respect to the principle of language in the third precept, when he saith of the third and ninth precepts in regard to vain and rash swearing in James 5.12, Swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay. And in James 3, 5 and 6 he saith, Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth, boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is itself set on fire of hell. You see, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. The second divine person of the Holy Trinity, God incarnate, saith in his Sermon on the Mount in St Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust, moss, moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. And when in Acts 8 the Apostle St Peter came across a man who professed to be a Christian, and who had been baptised, yet was in gross sin, he saith to him in Acts 8, 21-23, Thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, and in the bond of iniquity. And let me say that there are many professed Christians who have been baptised and yet are in gross sin on the issue of big beat music, as seen in, although not exhausted by, the examples considered in this sermon primarily of profanity and to a lesser extent considered with respect to making a gambling a lust idol, but also other matters of sin connected with ungodly beat beat, big beat music discussed in this wider series of six sermons. And there's a need for repentance of sin by such professed Christians who have been baptised, either as infants or in riper years, just as there's a need for repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour by those of riper years who have not been baptised as infants and who upon profession of faith in Christ therefore also need to be baptised, as do any infants in their custodial care. In the words of the Apostle Peter in Acts 2, 38 and 39, Repent! And be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Let us pray. <clears throat> Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. 
We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Grant, we beseech thee, merciful Lord, to thy faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins, and serve thee with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.